0: Let's talk about songs today, can we do that? It uh, doesn't matter, that's what we're gonna do. Uh, <laughs> turn to someone next to you, and, and don't think too hard, but just first thing that comes to mind, favorite song or songs, if you wanna list a couple. But favorite song, all time, go ahead, go. just realized that was probably on camera as I walked over there. Was that on camera as I walked over there? It's my wife over there. We have a song. I told her the name of our song. It's my favorite song. You're not going to know it. Doesn't matter. Not going to share it. On the count of three, everybody say your favorite song. One, two, three. Amazing Grace. Oh, Amazing Grace. We're in church. Excellent. Well done. (laughs) Who had Rock You Like a Hurricane? Did anybody have that one? Anybody? (laughs) Headbanger from the 80s. All right, same exercise, here we go. Least favorite song. When it comes on, you turn the radio off, you you stop the car, you set it on fire. What's the song that you like the least? Go ahead, tell each other what that one is. Some of you aren't talking, so I assume you don't understand what music is. <laughs> we just did it for like a half hour. That was music. I grew up in the 80s. My first least favorite song ever was a song by Tony Basil called Hey Mickey. Or Oh Mickey, is that what it is? All the cheerleaders loved it in my middle school. Can you hear it right now? It's an earworm, isn't it? You're going to be singing it the rest of your day. ha, <laughs> ha. And then this, I know everybody's gonna, listen, tastes can vary, but uh, I think empirically, like scientifically, it's proven. This is the worst song ever. Everybody ready? It's, It's done by a band that used to be good when they had a different name. They were called Jefferson Airplane. In the 80s, it became Starship, and they sang a song about a city being built on rock and roll. And I'm not gonna sing it because I hate it that much. If, I know, sorry, if that was your favorite song, let's hug later, okay? But that's the worst song all time. Not even close. Uh, Songs. Okay, let's talk about songs. We're about to run into a song here in the telling of the story of a prophet named Samuel. We've been studying the book of 1 Samuel for the last few weeks. And uh, it starts with uh, his birth and his mom. And uh, we uh, read in our first week together uh, that the context, the scene in which Samuel is born is a bleak one, a dark one. Which, if we're all being, you know, honest and fair, uh, since Genesis chapter 3, the scene primarily on the earth has been a bleak one, a dark one. It says at the end of Judges, which is when Samuel was born, kind of in the history of Israel, about 3,000 years ago, uh, that uh, there was no king in Israel. That's how the last verse of Judges chapter 21 says. Uh, finishes. There's no king in Israel. There's, there's no ruler or rules, really, because everybody, the next line says, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Everybody just did what worked for them. And it's into this scene that God sends this guy, Samuel, who will become one of his greatest prophets. He will usher in a new age, the age of the kings. He will begin uh, the 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 or continue I should say the story of our Savior Jesus Christ because from one of these kings David uh, Jesus will find his heritage but uh, it's into this dark world to a very uh, broken world and then to a broken woman her name's Hannah that God starts telling the story of Sam now Hannah uh, has had a rough go uh, in her age and her era as a, as a wife, her, her chief hope was to bear children for her husband. She wasn't able to do that. And, and so uh, the weight of that just increasingly discouraged and depressed her. There's all kinds of other dynamics going on, you can read it all in chapter one, but um, she wasn't gotten, getting any love really from anywhere. There were efforts being made by her husband, um, but pretty much everywhere she went she was, um, failing to receive what she so desperately needed, until finally, uh, in the telling of her story, she goes to God, and she just pours her heart out to Him, weeps in distress, been there, cried so hard you can't make words, Yeah, she's just um, emoting before her her, her father in heaven, and, and she just asked him, "God, listen, will you please see me? Will you remember? Will you remember me? Will you not forget me? And then if you'd give me a son, I promise I'll give him back. And that shapes the story of her pregnancy and ultimately her birth. We talked uh, the birth of her son Samuel. We talked about that last week. She decides to wean him uh, until he's about three or four years old, probably before she returns him to the service of God. there in the, the tabernacle or the temple, as it was known in Shiloh. Uh, And now she's uh, come and she's actually given her son. Don't miss that. She's taken her three or four-year-old son and she said, here you go. And what happens next is something that I would not anticipate. Like to me, like dark days in life, that would be one of them. God gave me this son for four years, three years, and now I'm returning him. He's not mine anymore to raise. I'm not going to watch him as he gets pimples and you know, I don't know why that would be a highlight, but, uh, but I'm not going to be there for any of those hallmark moments in this kid's development. It would seem like this is a dark day. But on this day, Hannah sings a song. There's lots of songs in the Bible. Did you know that? Like by one count in one article I read this week, uh, 185 different songs spread out through your Bible. Some of them are concentrated in, you know, certain books like Psalms this is a song book. 150 of them are there. Um, they're, they're written by different people. Anybody know who sang the first song in the Bible? I'll tell you, Moses. The children of Israel uh, have escaped Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea in Exodus 15, and it's there that Moses busts out. I think he rapped. Someone dropped a beat, and he just <laughs> kicked out, you know, the first, you know, verses of rap. Now, I don't know what he did, but he sang. He sang. And what, what, what draws you to sing? Uh, what, what drew Moses into song was just the overwhelming nature of what he had just seen. He just couldn't stop. He, he had to sing his praises to his God, to his deliverer. A little bit later in the story, uh, his um, sister Miriam gets the girls from Israel together. They form a dance troupe. And, uh, oh, church, we're dancing. Anyway, uh, uh, but, but there's songs throughout, from that point on, throughout the story of our scriptures. Kings write them. Obviously, David wrote most of the Psalms. Song of Solomon uh, is written about Solomon, perhaps even by Solomon. Um, Moms, like Hannah, sing songs in the Bible. Probably the most famous one is the mother of Jesus, Mary, when after the birth uh, of Jesus, uh, she just spends basically half a chapter in our Bible just singing her praises to the God who has included her in his plans. But today we come to this song, the song that Hannah sings. The song that I don't understand why it's being sung, but it's being sung and we have things to learn from it. It says in verse one of chapter two here in 1 Samuel, Hannah prayed and said, and some of you are like, wait a minute, I thought you said she sang. Well, look, if you're in paper Bibles, but most of the scholars who kind of split up our Bibles into sections entitle this section Hannah's Song. It's because in the Jewish faith, um, you would sing your prayers. Anybody ever been to a Seder feast? Seder this uh, Passover celebration in the Jewish faith. and uh, it's, 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 it's marked by songs. The rabbi or the leader of the feast will stand up and he will sing prayers to God. That's how they did it back then. Some of the scholars I read this week actually think that Hannah took one of the, you know, the common prayer songs of that time and rewrote it with their own words. Just, kind of, and just so you know, if you ever grew up reading or singing hymns, people did that all the time. They'd take a hymn from 1850 and put new words over it in 1950. We do that, right? Has anybody ever rewritten a song? When my kids were growing up, my toddlers, my boys would put on their pants, and uh, you know, uh, I liked the Rocky uh, Three theme song, Eye of the Tiger. And so I didn't even like change the, the words of the actual song. I just took the guitar riff, you know, eh, 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 and I made it pants, pants from France. And I, and I just, I, it's so stupid. Come on, what a, you do it too, whatever. <laughs> but I remember doing that in just a human condition to take the music that we know and have and kind of put our own stories, our own words, our own jokes, whatever, uh, over the top of them. If that's what Hannah did here, that's fine, but... But before we get into what she prayed, what she sang, in fact, I'm making up a new word today. It's called praising. Not praising, pray hyphen sing. It's a praising. We'll get to that in a second. But before we get to what Hannah prayed, sang, note that this is her second prayer on record here in 1 Samuel. First one, God, see me, remember me. Look at me. And provide for me what I lack. God does it. And even as she gives this son back, she's so overwhelmed with what God has done that she sings this song. It goes like this. Four things, maybe, if we have time, that she prays sings, And things that we need to pray sing in our lives. That's what this whole thing's about. When I, when I dismiss you today, I'm gonna dismiss you, hopefully, uh, to, to a place where you can actually uh, process what we're talking about here today and actually w- with each other if you came with your family or whatever drive to whatever's next going through the things that hannah pray sang going through them in your own life and pray singing them for yourself you don't have to sing somebody like mark i don't know the song just reflecting as hannah did here on what god has done in your life I hope you leave here praising singing your personal praise to God. That's where Hannah starts. She pray sings her personal praise to her God. She starts like this. My heart exalts in the Lord and my horn is exalted in the Lord. My heart exalts. My heart um, fills. Uh, it lifts up when I consider God and what he's done and who he is my heart exalts the heart was the core the the center not just the cardio the it was the 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 central um uh you know part of a of a human being in the time where where Hannah's rightness and so she says like everything my physical my emotional my psychological my spiritual everything exalts in God he has exalted my horn we say that all the time right Like in traffic, Lord, exalt my horn. Mm -hmm. As the guy's sleeping in front of me at the green light. Anyway, uh, get him off his phone, Lord. Mm -hmm. No, that's not what she's talking about. She's talking about a literal horn on an animal. Probably, as we read the Old Testament, the ram. Uh, The ram's horn uh, was uh, used in worship uh in the uh, J- jewish faith it was it was seen as a sign of strength and, and it comes from basically this idea when two rams compete over territory or a flock they, what do they do they, they run at each other as hard as they can and the the first one to tap out is the loser i guess uh whoever gets the worst migraine first right and, and then the, the the person or that person the the ram who has the biggest horns who's the strongest stands you know victorious on the cleft of the rock And his horn is a sign of his strength. When you read horn in the Bible, read, unless they're talking about the ones that go toot-toot or something, when it speaks in terms of my horn is exalted, talking about my strength. Hannah's standing here in one of uh, these situations in life where most of us would look and be like, this is a loss. She's losing her son, but she stands in the wake of this story and she says, my heart exalts. My horn exalts is exalted i'm getting strength from god in this situation she's not happy about having to leave samuel but she's overwhelmed with the blessing that god has given her in her life in just providing him in the first place this is so can you get this everybody look at me because everybody's going to go through tough things if you're not there right now they are coming you've been through them it's called humanity's existence it's just what we have are you with me i know you are and in those moments god is there who's with me on that everybody agree and in those moments we have a choice on what we're focusing on we can focus on the problem the potential you know uh horrific results that could come from this problem uh the, the pain that is existing in this problem. We can focus on those things, and many of us choose to, but what God wants us to do and what he has enabled us to do by his presence with his power is to, in those moments, not deny that those things are happening. I'm not preaching denial. I'm not saying stick your head in the sand. God isn't either. But he's saying where you have the choice to think about things, be like Hannah. Instead of focusing on what isn't, Focus on what is. Had breakfast this week with a guy whose life is kind of crumbling right now. There's lots of things falling apart. And we talked over our bacon and eggs about this principle. We have a choice in all of these situations on where we put our focus. And sure, life's hard. Uh, It's difficult no matter what age, it's it's always coming. There's always more, right? I I live with a 90-year-old man. My father-in-law lives with us, I love him. But it's kind of hard to watch them try to get up sometimes. Anybody know an older person? Like just, you know, uh, erecting out of a chair, just getting up is like, well, you're going to make it? <laughs> Can I get you? Anyway, uh, it's just always going to be something. Testify. But in those somethings, God is here. And I have a choice to look at what isn't or to focus on what is. And Hannah says, Sure. My son's going to the service of God. But how great is that? Sure, my son's not going to live with me. But up until God showed his grace to me, I had no son to give. Her focus is on those things. She's energized, not sapped. The verse continues. She says, my mouth derides in the English Standard Version. It's a word that I don't use that often. It basically is a Hebrew word that means gets big, enlarges. Uh, if I could put it in my vernacular, uh, Hannah woofs a little. She's going to talk some smack. My, de- my, my mouth derides my enemies. When my enemies, and, and if you know the story, Hannah had this particular uh, adversary. Her name was Penina. Uh, she was the sister bride in this family that she was a part of. And Penina, it tells us in chapter one, was just constantly, verbally, you know, uh, bringing Hannah down. And now hannah because of what god has done has something to say in return i used to play basketball in high school and college and uh we'd be uh, playing teams that weren't that good but they'd have one really good player we'd be up by like 25 points and this one really good player would be the player that i would be guarding sometimes and so this really good player would make a great move shoot a three po- a three-pointer on one leg falling back or something like that make it and he just kind of you know waddled down the floor like he was all that in a bag of chips and, and I'd, I'd go down to start the next play on offense and he'd start talking to me. Didn't that, you didn't get me on that one, did you? Shot that right in your face, if you've ever played sports. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? People like to, to speak of their accomplishments. You know what my favorite comeback in that situation was? Just stone face, look him right in the eyes, and point. What did I say? Scoreboard, and that guy shut right up you need to make about 17 of those three-pointers, buddy, just to get in sniffing range of where our team's putting yours. Now, I didn't say it that way. God loves them, so do I, right? (laughs) But that's essentially what Hannah is talking about here. You know, in life, people come at you, tell you that, you know, you're never gonna, anybody ever had that never gonna person in your life? You're never gonna amount to anything, be able to do that, get over this get through this, because we have the God that we have in all of those situations where Paninas in our lives are coming to us and talking smack, we can just point. Scoreboard, we know how this one finishes. Even though we look like we're losing with God, we're way ahead. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation she doesn't talk about her personal achievements she talks about the salvation that god has given her i golf on occasion and uh sometimes i try i try every time to hit the ball straight and where i want it to go can anybody imagine that it doesn't always work out that way there's these trees that exist on the sides of fairways and golf courses sometimes i find them there are those times though where i hit the ball into one of these trees and i'm thinking oh no this hole is ruined i'll never be able to recover and then we talk about monkeys in these trees actually taking the ball and throwing them out in the middle of the fairway. Sometimes they ricoch- these, these golf balls ricochet off branches and they find the best spots. And in those moments, no golfer can say, meant to do that. See how I played that tree perfectly? No. It's an instance, a, a, a representation of how we, no matter how hard we try, we're not always gonna hit it straight. We're not always gonna do it right. But we have a God who more often than we recognize, can I just remind us of that? More often than we begin to recognize, throws the ball back out in the fairway in our lives. Hannah goes on. She says this in verse 2, There's none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There's no rock like our God. This is a common phrase in many of the songs that are sung in our Bibles. There's no rock like our God. She starts talking about how there's none holy like him. There's no one beside him. There's no rival, there's no equal. We sing that in one of our songs currently. No one shares the podium with our God. It's not even close. And then she goes on to talk about his steadfastness. He's our rock. It means a couple things. It's the Hebrew word sur. It's hard to, it's S-U-R in English. Uh, But it's kind of weird pronunciation. Maybe not. Sur, and and it means bedrock. So like when Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 is talking about, hey, if you build your life on my words, it's like a man who builds his house on the rock. And when the winds come, uh, what are we calling this storm? Ian, yeah, here comes Ian. When the winds come in life, if my house is built on the rock, it stands firm. It's that that idea of the Hebrew word sur, the the bedrock of life is our God. He's a trusted foundation on which we not just should, we must build if we expect to face the storms of life. But sur is also used, this word for rock is also used in other uh, contexts in the Old Testament to describe the rocks that build a fortress. He's not just this uh, unshakable and, and this ultra dependable surface on which we can build life he's this protection for life there's no rock like our God I was reading a book this week about this particular part of the passage and and the guy says in his his, uh, commentary says seriously just go outside right now and try to push your church down (laughs) that uh, it made me laugh I guess not as funny to you All right, (laughs) like if we went outside this door right now and all of us all however many hundred are in here got on one side of this church building, and we all said, one, two, three, push. Where's it going? Nowhere, right? Well, let's all get in our cars, and we'll just try to ram this thing over. What's gonna happen? Car loses, are you with me? The point this guy was trying to make is like, hey, that's God in our lives, as our fortress, as our protection. There's no rock like our God. She gets done singing her own personal praise to God. And she moves on to sing her theology, her, her confidence. She starts with her consummate. This week as you go through life, I pray that you pray sing your confidence in God. Look what she says in verse, th- verse 3. She says, talk no more so very proudly. All you cocky types, everybody who's, you know, talking a good game. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. Why? For the Lord is a God of knowledge, of all knowledge. And by him, actions are weighed. She gets all, this is a big word, I had to look it up, hortatorical. That means she gets all demanding. She gets all preachy. She gets all like, hey, warning, uh, danger, Will Robinson, if you're a cocky, uh, arrogant, thinking that, you know, person, thinking that you can do whatever you want and get away with it, I'm here to tell you, you can't. Because God is a God of knowledge. And by him, all actions are weighed. Anybody have that mom growing up? I may not be there, but God's there. You're taking Jesus with you on Friday night. He sees all things, knows all things. And if he doesn't get you, he'll let me know about it, and I'll get you. Anyway, uh, it's a warning to everyone denying or defying God. He's a God who knows. He's a just God. And he may, you know, over time or in time or, or for a time, grant you his grace. But ultimately, and this is what I pray for my kids, I, I pray for all of you. Listen, God, if there's someone out there thinking that they are fooling you and everybody else in their lives, I pray quickly that you will bring that to an end. That you will bring it to the light so that they can be done with this folly and get back in line with what you want. There's a story in our scriptures in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel's this great book. Read it this week. Uh, but Daniel is this um, exile from Israel. He's he's come as a young man to this place called Babylon that took him into captivity. Uh, great story. He he kind of rises through the ranks, interprets some dreams for a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar dies. His son is a guy named Belshazzar. That's a good one. Name your kid that. And and Belshazzar comes into power and he is. Uh, not a God-fearing king. He doesn't buy into what Daniel's telling him about the, the God of Israel. And so he, in essence, uh, starts um, mocking the, the, the God of Israel by taking the items from the temple that they had sacked in their conquest of Israel and, and using them in, in orgy-like parties, desecrating them uh, with the rest of his court. One night, a huge finger, does remember this story? It's in Daniel chapter five. This huge finger comes and starts writing on the walls, of this party, and you know, I don't know if the shrooms are kicking in or what, but uh, <clears throat> you know, this Belshazzar guy says, "Did you see that? Was just that? Was that just me?" And everybody in the party's like, "Yeah, dude, we saw the finger." And there's what it wrote, and so someone finally says, "You know, who, the only one who can probably figure this out for is this guy Daniel. He's older now." They bring him in, and uh, and Belshazzar says, "Daniel, can you tell me what that says?" And the words were, "Many many, tekel parsin." They basically say, uh, in in so many words. Um, God sees what you're doing that word tekel is a word that uh, Daniel translates you have been weighed God's seen and he's figured out who you really are and he says he's not just going to leave this alone Belshazzar does everything he can to appease this God that Daniel's talking about makes him third in the kingdom but that night people Belshazzar meets his end as the Medes and the Persians come in and remove Babylon from power. Paul wrote it this way to the church in Galatia. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Go to the farms, people. You want to know how it's going to work out? You might think you got me fooled, the person next to you fooled, everybody in life fooled, but you don't have God fooled. He will not be mocked. He loves you too much to let you get away with it for all your life. And whatever you are sowing, eventually the crop will come in. She goes on, she says in verse 4, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble feeble bind on strength. She says in verse five, those who are uh, full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. I think she's probably getting a little more personal here. Anybody remember Hannah's story? She was so depressed, so discouraged that she stopped eating. Her husband, Elkanah, would come and bring her a double portion from the feasts that they would partake in in Shiloh, and she wouldn't even touch it. Just got a to-go box. I don't think that's true. Anyway, uh, but now she's feasting. And the ones who were feasting before are the ones who are going hungry instead. She says, this is certainly uh, her story specific. The Baron has born seven. How many kids did she have? Yeah, for those scoring at home, Samuel was a one. Why does she say seven? It's a Bible number. Seven is the, is the number of completion or perfection in our scriptures and so she says, listen, it took me a long time, but my son came at the right time. Uh, he, he was the right man. He was here because of the grace of God. He is like seven sons to me in that he is complete and perfect. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Isn't it cool that God's the great equalizer? He's the one who comes to our rescue. He, he's the one who makes paths straight. If we just trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our own, own understanding and acknowledge him in all our ways, he'll make the path straight. He's the redeemer, the savior, the sal- salvation of all those who are lost. This is one of my favorite things that my mom taught me in counseling that I share with most people is they're going through whatever they're going through and hopes are dimming. Things are going from bad to worse. From the frying pan to the fire. Are you with me? My mom would always keep telling me, Mark, the story is not over. The story's not over. Yeah, this looks bad. Yeah, it looks like everything's, you know, heading to worse. But remember, over and over again, in our scriptures, the stories that tell us when things were at their darkest, the light was just about to shine. About 15 chapters from here in 1 Samuel, we meet this kid, David. He's running to a battlefield where his brothers are fighting against the Philistines. You know the story. He drops off the pizza, right? And then he says, where's the fight? You guys aren't fighting at all. And there's this big, tall guy out in the field saying, any Israelite? Want some? Come and get it, right? And his name's Goliath. And if you know the story, David's like, well, I'll fight him. And everybody's like, you? It's like, yeah, me and God, uh, we got this. And so David tries on all of Saul's armor and all that, so you know the story, right? And none of it works, it's too big for him. He's like, you know what, all I need is how many? Five rocks and this little strap of leather, and I'll walk out there. And this giant, this this veteran of many uh, conflicts, Goliath, sees this little teenage boy, and he's like, seriously? I'm going to floss my teeth with this guy. This isn't a fair fight, and he, like the the text uh, alludes to, mocks. And, And everything, from everybody else watching, this is it. This kid's dead, and Israel's lost as a result. But David speaks to Goliath and says, you picked the wrong fight, buddy. It's not me. It's the God who's behind me, and he takes one of those rocks, and you know the rest. And that picture of David and Goliath is the one that I want us all to keep as we walk through the dark nights of our soul. The story's not over yet. God is here. God is for me and not against me. I have confidence in him, and I will pray, sing, live in this confidence as I go through life. The last thing is what Hannah does next. She prays, sings, her theology. We need to preach sing the things that we believe. Have ever had to give themselves a pep talk in some situation? The whole "you can do this." Come on! I do it all the time, all the time. Whether I'm on a golf course or I'm trying to fix something in my house, you should. Someone should roll tape on any, any uh, do-it-yourself do it project that I do. There is a running dialogue between me and me. Right? And a, a lot of it's not something I need uh, on the internet, so let's skip those parts. But uh, other parts are just like, "Come on, Mark, you can fix this. You've been to Lowe's six times now. You've got all that you need, and we can do this." Yeah. Now I think those you know those are good speeches, good talks to have with ourselves. What Hannah does though is she doesn't talk about herself, and we in life should not. Solely focus on our abilities and what we can do. We need to live life, walk through life, pray, singing, what God can do. Who God is in the situations of our lives. She starts with talking about God's sovereignty. He rules. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He's in charge. He's a God who rules. He's a God who rescues. Verse 8, He raises up the poor from the dust and He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. I mean, just read your Bibles. You got Joseph, who was a slave and then a convict and then became prime minister, right? You got Jesus, born in a barn, running for his life as a child, coming out of the woods at the age of 30 in anonymity and as a carpenter, revolutionizing the story of world history. God's son, a a seeming in all aspects, in all respects in the culture, a loser, a nobody, being used to accomplish great things. God is our sovereign, he rules. God is our savior, he rescues God. And be trusted because he remains our sure, our bedrock. For the pillars of the earth, verse 8 finishes, the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he sets the world. What's your life setting on right now? I mean, I know what you're supposed to say. It's church, right? Jesus, God, Bible but truly ask yourself on what am I building? My abilities, my plans, my ambitions? On, on, on what do, do I uh, order my life around? What are my priorities centered on? Hannah, uh, if, if you're like her and we all are at times, was broken, despondent, defeated, and things changed when she come, came to her God and just said, hey, see me, remember me. I'll go with you wherever it leads. She left after that first prayer in chapter one. Her face was lifted up. She took food to eat. Things had changed, even though things hadn't changed. And here's what I want to tell you today as we close. Listen, I don't know where you're at. I know where some of you are at. It's horrible. It's hard. But Remember these things. Remember the story of Hannah. Pray sing the things that Hannah pray sang. Pray sing your personal praises to God. He's done so much. Even in the midst of the darkness, he's done so much already. Remember those things. Pray sing your confidence. God, I don't know how it's gonna work out, but I know that you are in control, and I can trust you. And then pray sing the things that you believe. Pray sing your theology. Lord, when all else is going crazy, when everything else breaks around me, I'm going to rest in you and in your amazing grace, and that'll be more than enough. Don't you love that song? It's hundred and something years old, this song Amazing Grace, but every time I sing it, it reminds me of the personal praises, the things that God's done in my life, the amazing graces he's shown in me. It reminds me of the confidence that I can have it and It reminds me in the things that are true about him. And so that's how we'll close today. Stand with me as we sing.